you're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. And it needs to say, I'm a thoughtful person. And I appreciate you. And... I know exactly what you like, all at the same time. Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life, like the pickleballer, the jazz fan, the zen seeker, the artist, or the pasta lover. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, There's something for everyone on Etsy. A gifting moment is always around the corner. Whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Gift easy with Gift Mode on Etsy. Welcome to this podcast number 905. This episode brought to you by Squarespace. Uh, beautiful templates created by world-class designers. Squarespace makes it easy to turn your idea into a new and unique website in just a few clicks. Uh, and their analytics will help you grow in real time. And if you have a question, they have 24-7 customer support that's there to help. Think it, dream it, make it with Squarespace. Make your thing. Uh, head to Squarespace for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, just use the offer code NERDIS to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. So do it. We'll keep telling you until you make a thing. I always get excited when people go, hey, I made the thing now, finally. <laughs> like watching people go off and yes. actually manifest the things that were in their head. That will ultimately probably change their lives, Katie Levine. And speaking of which, what can we promote on the uh, Nerdist Community Corkboard? So Reddit user Mattress Crane says, hey, I'd like to pitch a thing I've been working on for the past three years. It's a book that's being collaborated with the subreddit Life of Norman. Essentially, they created a book about a fictional character named Norman. He's a simple man, works in an office, lives with a cat, an entirely normal life. Uh, the subreddit's content is little stories written by whoever wants to take a shot at telling an anecdote about Norman. Sometimes it's silly, sometimes it's sad, but it's always relatable. So over the past few years, he's been putting together a large and thoughtful, thoughtfully collected book of these stories called the book of norman uh you know he says it's a very odd thing but it's special and it's about community being nice to one another and knowing it's okay to be normal 100 percent of the book's profits are going towards cats shelters which i really like so that's kind of cool uh the book is going to be out october 21st and will be available on amazon and then rachel jackson writes uh i wanted to share a kickstarter for my new project jose and the hawk it's a buddy cop comedy about a man named jose and a hawk puppet set set in a fictionalized version of the modern-day Seattle. It's very Starsky and Hutch-inspired. Eventually, she'd like to make it into a web series, but right now it's a pilot episode script. They shot a third of it this summer, and so they could know better what people uh, want and are t- what they're talking about. And the Kickstarter's for funds to finish filming the pilot and also building a fan base. So you, if that sounds like something you're interested in, just go to kickstarter.com and search Jose and the Hawk. Excellent. Thank you, Katie Levine. Uh, this episode is David X. Cohen, who, of course, was the uh, showrunner behind Futurama, worked on The Simpsons. A brilliant, brilliant man. 
uh, and we got to make the Futurama yes, podcast. I mean, I got now. to be in the Futurama podcast, and I got to be voice directed by David, which was a tremendous honor. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that podcast is out now, Radio Rama, and then also. Um, download and play Futurama Worlds of Tomorrow, which is on uh, iOS and Android. Uh, I was ahead in a jar in the game, and I'm very, I was very excited about that. I was very excited to get to be ahead in a jar, Katie. Being ahead in the jar was one of the most exciting. Your life dream? It kind of was. <laughs> it's really cool, and it looks cool, and it looks just like you. Which is fun. They did a good, they did yeah. a great job with it. I think that actually my head in a jar is handsomer than my actual head, but <laughs> but they did a really nice job. But David's a mad genius, and uh, and I was so excited to have him on. Uh, you know, I mean Futurama just and The Simpsons, uh, but uh, both. I mean, I can't even quantify what those shows mean to me. So yeah. uh, David was a great guest, and thank you for taking the time to. We've been doing a lot of these at my house. You know, ever since that midnight wrap, yeah. we don't go to the podcast studio much anymore because. It's quite frankly easier for me to do them out of my house, and it's been really great. It just—it's just like a nice, relaxed vibe. So yeah. thanks for coming over, Katie. No worries. You've probably come over to my house way more than you ever wanted to come over to someone's <laughs> house to record all these. Um, this episode also brought to you by Stamps.com. Uh, going to the post office is a drag. The lines, the aggression. The how does this get mailed? What do I need to do? All the parking, all the crap. So avoid the hassle of the post office and mail everything from postcards, envelopes, packages, domestic or international with stamps.com. Print it out, no matter what it is, any class, whatever it is, uh, using your computer and your printer. Click print mail, you're done. And unlike the post office, stamps.com never closes. So there's no lines. Print postage for letters or packages 24-7. They're going to send you a digital scale that calculates the exact postage and then help you decide the best class based on your needs. Then you give it to your mail carrier, and that's it. You're done. Uh, you can even get discounts you can't get at the post office. They're going to bring all the services of the post service right to your fingertips. So enjoy stamps.com uh, with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com, click the microphone on the top of the homepage, and type in Nerdist. That's Stamps.com under the promo code Nerdist. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. Katie Levine, it is episode 905, David X. Cohen, roll the thing. Now entering Nerdist.com. to purposely sometimes leave his phone on because during DVD commentaries because he thought it would be funny to take a call during the commentary and have it be forever on. Hello, you're on the commentary. We did that several times. Uh, yeah, we have a delivery for your house. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just uh, take it around the side. <laughs> uh, that's really funny. Did the person ever comment on, did, did they ever say... Uh, I'm not really sure what was going on on the other end of the call. Oh, oh he didn't put it on speakerphone. Uh, oh, that's really funny. That's he would really encourage funny. other people to do the same too. He was really, uh, he's such a lovely guy, and he's always been so, I mean, when I, when I just blindly reached out to you and said, hey, let's, let's do like a radio play of Futurama, because the world needs more Futurama. And uh, I just want to thank you for not um, telling me to fuck off. Well... <laughs> I spent, I mean, again, 
I don't again. I don't know if we should, are we already on. Yeah, yeah it's recording. Oh, okay. It's... Um, I used to listen to a lot of old time radio, um, just like you know the Whistler and mm-hmm. the Shadow and all that kind of stuff, and. So it felt like a natural to me to try to do something in that form. You know, it, these shows were not comedies, but they're always funny anyway. Right. Because it's always, what's that in your hand? A gun? <laughs> it is a gun. You know, like, just <laughs> click, joke, click. But it's a, it's a class of jokes that you can't make when you're showing what's happening. You know, so it opens up new avenues of attack for writing. So it was kind of fun. Theater of the mind. Yeah. And especially now that, uh, I mean, I, I think there is a, an appreciation and a resurgence for, uh, for for types of entertainment that aren't so that don't just give you all of the information that you actually have to maybe use your imagination from time to time but with with Futurama it just you guys broke format so many times on the show that it just seemed like uh, I I was just thinking about that the other day you know Futurama is a show that it uh benefited very much from the ever shifting formats that have been taking place the last 15 20 years yeah um in the sense that we were on regular old broadcast TV with commercials originally, you know, in our standard definition, four by three animation. And we clung to life for four or five years that way. And then we were off. And, you know, for all history up to that point, that would have been the end. But no, DVDs were just hitting their stride at that time. And we sold a lot of DVDs after being canceled, which was kind of surprising news to Fox. And then, the show went on late night on cable TV, and that was you know a new place to look for stuff, and that was a success. So then the show came back for these direct to DVD movies, which was a new thing you couldn't have done you know ten years before that. Right, and those sold. So then the show came back on the air on Comedy Central again on cable, and then at that point we're in HD and high definition and widescreen and various technical improvements, and. While that's going, Netflix comes around, and then that keeps the show alive. After after four more years on Comedy Central, we're on Netflix, and now moving to Hulu, by the way. Oh, For nice. all you uh, angry Netflix subscribers, I <laughs> apologize, but that's just, you know, Fox has kind of pulled all their stuff off and put it on Hulu. It's and always co- coincidentally, Fox owns part of Hulu. It's just... A weird coincidence. Well, well, that's a strange. I bet you know when they finally finished that deal, and they went, "Hey, you know what? We just realized <laughs> we also own a piece of this." That's what a crazy, weird. Just things just work out in Life your favor. Sometimes when you own everything, things work out in your favor. It's <laughs> one of those strange things. And people, I'm sure people, then uh, people get pissed at you. Hey, man, what the fuck? Why are you moving this to Netflix? That is way over my pay grade. Yeah. I do not make decisions. For... I, I'm often, I wouldn't say I'm the last to know, but I'm rather than giving information, being given information, I'm given clues about what's going to happen to the show. So, um, <laughs> so, so, so basically, so, Futurama for you is like national treasure. Like, so most recently, the, the clue that we were going to move off Netflix was this, you know, eight, six, eight, 12 months ago I don't know time is a mystery to me now it goes <laughs> months go by and I think was that yesterday but anyway yes. I got this thing from Fox can you look over this trailer we're putting together for uh, a new streaming service the show is going on to in Europe and I'm like hmm okay I'll do that but I thought we were on Netflix in Europe <laughs> and like, what about you know and um so that was just that made me suspicious and sure enough Hulu's Hulu doesn't exist in Europe so that what that meant was we were going onto Hulu in the U.S. and onto some other Got service. And so, but I have to put these things together. Or 
In an even worse example of this was <laughs> our last year on the air on Fox. We were in our office, which was this office building in West Los Angeles, and we weren't told we were canceled, but one day a real estate agent came through the building showing our office space to a potential client. I, All right. <laughs> that says, again, I'm putting the pieces together. You can knock it's this not, wall down here, excuse right. me. I don't immediately then... <laughs> get the news, but they, you know, they, there's hints. I mean, you know, on the one hand, I think, well, it's not that different that, you know, like the, the, the networks now are like uh, Hulu, Amazon and Netflix. And just like in the old days, like, oh, some things are on CBS, some things are on NBC, some things are on ABC. But the, the difference is it was very rare that you would you would get used to seeing a show on NBC and then it would disappear. And you'd be like, where the fuck did that go? Oh, that's on ABC now. Yeah. Except yeah. on the other hand, we were talking about this at work the other day, you know, shows we like and we realized we were all talking about a show, and then we realized none of us knew what service or channel it was on. Even oh yeah, so just like I see it, but it's just I you don't think about it that way anymore. You know, it used to be like oh, I'm turning to Channel Four on Thursday night. That's NBC. You know, but now you're just like your people are more focused on the show than the than the venue. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't people people don't even really give a shit where they get their thing anymore. They no. just want their. They just the only annoying thing. thing is that you know it just it seemed like things were simplifying where it's like okay I can download everything with my one Netflix no. subscription but now you have to subscribe to nine things again. No, and I don't think it's ever going to get easier because just the more time that goes on, it just feels like the more proprietary. You know, every major corporation just says. We want to own everything. And then the other one goes, well, no, we want to own everything. So there's not, there's never really going to be a standardized anything because everyone will think they should be the ones who owns it. Yeah. I mean, the one thing you could imagine becoming kind of standardized is a per episode thing where it might come from all different services, but you wouldn't necessarily know if you had a central hub that could buy the episodes for three ninety nine or $2.99. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I tend that, to That's what degree. I end up doing a lot already yeah. for shows rather than figuring it's, you know... I pay my cable bill and then I go, I still don't feel like figuring out how to find it. Just, I'm, then I end up also buying it by the episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Our cable bill, we, yeah. we don't even, I mean, with the amount of money we spend on cable and how little we actually watch actual cable anymore. I mean, I can't even remember the last my, time. My I wife has a great around. term for when you're flipping around and you actually end up watching something. She calls it a natural. So it's like, <laughs> it's like I caught, you know, you say like, I caught a natural of, I caught a natural of alien the other night, you know. That's really funny. <laughs> it just happened to, right. did you, could you fast forward? No, couldn't fast forward. It's a natural. To, <laughs> my daughter, and who's 10, has no concept of, yeah, the TV where you can't fast forward or find the episode you want to... Well, it must feel like a prison so, to yeah, her to, like, like, to think that the old... The, like, you just caveman had to, TV. You just, there was a time where you had to just sit there and it would just hit you in the face at, at a certain time. And if you missed it, then you probably, you know, probably just didn't see it again right. for, for a long time. Was there ever... There must have been talk... As, I, as I've said to you many times, Futurama is an unkillable show. It keeps coming back. And I believe that it's not done. I do believe Futurama will come back again, even after podcast and game form. But I'm sure there were conversations about taking it to Netflix or Hulu or something, about reviving it. You know, we talk about it sometimes. My basic philosophy is... Um, well, it's, it's fairly complicated at this point because I've, I've been through so many ups and downs with the show, you know, and so many last episodes ever that uh, I've dealt with it many, many times sure, sure. in a way that's rare. You know, you don't get to have your show canceled three or four times normally. So <laughs> it's really something to be either very proud or very ashamed of. I'm not sure. But um, 
you know, the first one or two times the show got canceled, it was very emotional for me. And I had really sunk my every waking minute into it in the early years. And, you know, it was it unhealthily became my whole life in those days. So when it ended, it was like, you know, this, oh, this is the end of an era and goodbye, everybody and boohoo and everyone's hugging each other. And, you know, we spend long hours sitting in, especially the writers, we spend many long hours in a small room locked together, kind of like your college roommates or something, you know, that you, you just end up spent talking about other stuff and you, you know, much too much about each other's lives <laughs> and smells. Of course. <laughs> so, so it, it felt, you know, it feels like, Oh, goodbye, this phase of my life. But then the show comes back and a lot of those people are back, you know, Oh, okay. We're back again. And then it's over and it's, you know, okay, I guess I'll hug you again. But the third or fourth time you can't break down, cry and hug everybody anymore. It's just like, all right, you know, we were, it was actually, it was nice to be able to come back and maybe it'll happen again, but you can't, the human body just can't have that degree of well, reaction. So you've been through it so many times, time. you're like, oh yeah, this. Right. And I'll also, see you next time. and my, my record of, of predicting when the show will come back is zero. You know, it's always the opposite. When I say, uh, it's done, it's absolutely done. That's when the phone will ring and they're like, you know, there's, you know, <laughs> Comedy Central is expressing interest, whatever it is. So I have no idea. My one, the one thing I'll say at this point is, in the in the early days when we first went off Fox, I felt like the show was not complete, and there was you know so much more to do. And there's always more to do, but I do I feel like at this point, having come back for movies and for more years in Comedy Central, that if we never did any more, I would still be feel very satisfied and yeah. proud. So it doesn't have quite that feeling of there's a void that needs to be filled. But on the other hand, if the conditions were right. I'd be happy to do some more, but that we we don't want to make the cheapo future. You know, we don't want to no, you come can't. back and go have everyone go. Oh, it used to be good, but now it stinks. You know, it has to be. If someone wants to bring it back, it has to be done right with the cast and like the writers. Like those super and, cheap animated versions of like Tom and Jerry that MGM did in yeah. the in the sixty when when animation got when they realized like oh we're going to make animation for television right. And you know we can. We don't even have to try. Yeah, there's, and then we'll just we'll just because there's like only three channels, and, twelve frames per yeah, second, <laughs> right? And we'll just actually you know. twelve frames per second is the nor is the standard. You know that I thought it was twenty four. Well, there's twenty four frames on TV. Uh, there's twenty four frames but of you video do, you do per two, second. You shoot they, two. They, per they call 12. it yeah. They call it animating Ones, twos, on threes. twos. Yeah, that's right. So that's right. so for like Futurama Simpsons, the standard is on, is on twos. Now when someone you know if Homer's doing a real. Uh, I'm, you, you guys see me acting this out with my hands here. I, when Homer's wiggling his fingers or you know conniving or something, they might animate that on the ones to really capture the the a real specific gesture or something. Or if we do 3D graphics in Futurama where a ship's flying on a real smooth arc, right? That'll be on the animated on the ones, but otherwise on twos. But if you watch, yeah, I know you're talking about. If you go as far as like. Uh, Japanese anime or something. I think some of that's on the fours or something. Well, there, well, there was some. There was like there was like there was a cartoon when I was growing up that was probably the worst animated from an animation standpoint. And I think it was called the the Mighty Hercules. Do you remember the Mighty Hercules? I they, I remember the existence of a fictional character Hercules. And, so he had, and I remember bad animation, so I can pretty much picture it. There was a cartoon, and it was even beyond like all the Lou Scheimer stuff. The Lushimer stuff I thought was pretty animated all right. It was like all that was all the He-Man, you know, the uh-huh. He-Man cartoons. But but this um this mighty the mighty Hercules, they would just like walk behind bushes so they wouldn't have to animate <laughs> walks. Uh but you know, I I took animation in college and it and it was a path that 
if I hadn't, comedy was my first love, and if I hadn't been fortunate enough to get some lucky breaks in that direction, I, I would have gone into animation because that's what I really. What would what would it, what would have your specialty be? What, let me rephrase it. What would your specialty have been? I was trying my, my the job that I was trying to get was layout artist, mm-hmm. and then um, so you have to. You, that means you can really draw. Well, I thought I could really draw, <laughs> but then I was um, I became friends when I was in college, just out of pure fandom. Uh, I kind of stalked Spumco and became friends with uh, some of the directors at Spumco. So I, I, I was submitting to Ren and Stimpy, mm-hmm. and I thought I was really good. But then when I saw like what really good artists are like, then I realized. I mean, I never got. They never hired me, and rightfully so. But I, I, I realized like, oh fuck, I'm, I'm not that good. Mm-hmm. I'm not. That's yeah. kind of how I felt in graduate school studying computer science. I, was like, <laughs> I used to be pretty good, but now seeing all these. Top students from around the world, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, in your own little pond, you're I'm great. Right. But then when you yeah. see all the best of the best, right. you're like, oh, I don't even fucking, I right. don't even write. I feel like I was, then you may feel the same way. I felt like I was good enough to appreciate how good the good people were. And that yes. in itself is a, 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 it's a luxury, or that's not the, a, a, I don't want to say blessing. That sounds like, because I'm not a religious. Right, man, right, but right. But you right. know what I mean. It's just, I feel honored to have been able to even appreciate how good the good people are. Well, there, there, are, some, there are some things where you, you go okay, yeah. I think I could. I think if I put in a lot of work, I could do that. But then sometimes you see a gap that's so great mm-hmm. where you go, I'm not sure if I have enough lifetime. Yeah. To get. I think the, I think those people were just. I, I think about that a lot when because it's it's fairly common that someone will I'll be talking to someone who says, oh me, you know, I or my cousin or somebody really wants to get into voiceover, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe you know what what advice do you have or or whatever and. The thing I really want to say, but it's too demoralizing, is you don't know what you're up against. Because <laughs> the people I've gotten to work with, who many of whom you've had on your show 80 times, I know, but like Billy West and John DiMaggio and yeah, and Rob Paulson and Maurice Dress and McNeil, Rob Paulson, we never had on. You never had Paulson no, on Futurama. I, um, I just met him the other day for the first time. I just assumed because yeah. he's been in everything. Yeah, no, I don't think we ever had him on. But he's buddies with Maurice, so I yeah. saw him at something the other day. Um, but you know. Really, what I want to say is, if you if you think you're good at voiceover, remember that Billy West can sing in two vo- two voices at once, <laughs> in character, and he's singing. You know what I mean? Like the things that these people can do are beyond belief. Uh, oh yeah. yeah. I mean, and not to mention they do impressions. So, you know, the only reason we can make these shows like Simpsons Futurama is that we have people who can do twenty completely distinct voices plus impressions and stuff otherwise we'd have to pay hundreds of people because these you know these shows have a cast many times the size of the, the cast of a live action show. I, I always love my favorite sort of voiceover uh my favorite voiceover mechanism is the one where someone is in one character and doing a voice in that character's voice of another character yeah so it's not just they're jumping and doing another character it's what that character's impersonation of another character yeah we had an episode of futurama where um but i'm trying to remember what it was i think i think you the fans will correct me but i think dr zoidberg was holding hermes uh limp dead body temporarily did (laughs) manipulating it like a puppet and this is almost what i was just referring to and singing a, a duet it, it, both as Zoidberg and as Zoidberg impersonating Hermes and yes. singing. Like, 
who can do that, you know? But he can do it. Yeah, and... Uh, and at the end of the song, just as a joke, he, he's singing in harmony with himself. Although we did, <laughs> I admit, we did, I will admit we recorded that in two separate takes. It wasn't literally, he wasn't literally, but he can, but when I said he can make two notes at a time with his mouth, he can. You know, yeah, just, that's incredible. But he couldn't actually do two voices in two different characters at the same time although almost i would say yeah i mean that that's sort of that that's really in the the, the kind of mel blank uh like it, it, it voiceover i think is a great uh i don't want to say unsung but i i just don't think because so much of our culture is about like what you can see and people think oh if i see someone and they're more famous then that must mean they're better you know which is such bullshit because i think voiceover artists um it, it's one of the most uh, incredible talents, like a really good voiceover artist, because they are conveying. Th- there's such a concert between uh, the voice that they create and then the artist, and but the fact that they are able to create, s- convey so many emotions and ideas, and not be able to use their face in any way or anything physical, mm-hmm. but it's just sort of conveying all that through their voice. And of course, obviously, they come in and draw, and then they go back and do ADR and tweak and tweak and tweak. But I think you know some of the voiceover guys that I've like the Maurices of the world that I've been lucky enough to work with are truly some of the best performers in all of. Performing. Yeah, yeah. One thing, another thing, people forget when they're talking about doing voiceover is that uh, it's acting <laughs> and <Yeah>. acting itself <laughs> even acting in your own voice is very hard yeah I found that out when I, I you know I auditioned for the role of Bender you did early on yes I did because you auditioned for we, yourself we we, um, we had auditioned dozens of people and we it was very hard to cast the role of Bender the robot because it's so hard to break that idea in your mind that a robot sounds I am a robot you know so it's hard to think back to the time when we didn't know what Bender would sound like so we tried some people with robot voices, and then we're like, that's not going to hold, you know, we're not going to hear that every day for every week for years. So we try. then we went, let's go with a really deep voice. So we had all these booming guys in there, and, you know, it just didn't look like him. And um, so at one point, Greg Daniels, who was the writer on The Simpsons and then later co-creator of King of the Hill and The Office and everything else, so that guy, um, <laughs> but he was, he, I knew him from The Simpsons, and he said, hey, Dave, you sound kind of like a robot. Why don't you audition for Bender? So, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So yeah, it's like oh, yeah. So um, was what was your bend? What was your Bender voice? Was it just your voice? It, as me. So the idea was, you know, why don't you just try it as your voice? So I went and I auditioned for Matt Groening. But the the thing was, this is this is kind of one of those moments when you again appreciate what other people do, not just the crazy voices, but the acting. And like the second I sat down and tried to read these lines, some of which I wrote. All I could think of were like how the other people had done the line, and I couldn't remember how I talk, you know. And right. So the second you're acting, it's hard. It's very, very, <laughs> it's difficult. So um, I learned a big lesson, and I was not good at it, you know. I, I like to think maybe, maybe now, having observed these guys for so many years, but I picked something what, up. But. but that's what's so fun about the process of it is, is you know, a really good production will will find such a great relationship between so DiMaggio comes in and he does he auditioned for the professor with that voice and then someone had the idea of bring him back in and have him do Bender in that voice because we did have you know the character of Bender being this robot who drinks and parties it up and all and so we're like let's, that, let's try that drunken sounding voice for Bender and 
that was the key. But he had tried it as like an old cra- crazy, man, you know, crazy old man voice first. But so so he comes in and does that, and then you guys, it's sort of like shopping for a Christmas present, I guess, mm-hmm. where you go, oh, no, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you exactly what I'm looking for, but when I see it, I'll know it. Yeah. It, some people, and so that part was very hard to cast, although I think in the end it paid off <laughs> handsomely with one of the you know, most memorable voices, but, and other ones were very easy to cast. And I'll go back to Dr. Zoidberg where Billy West was the first person to come in. He did Dr. Zoidberg within, I, he had the part within three seconds. Cause again, we didn't know what Dr. Zoidberg would sound like, but you gave him the, you gave, gave him, him the character sheet. We gave him the yeah picture and some lines to read, but you know, and the name Zoidberg, and that's what he went from. So, um, but so when they when they come in and they bring something that you li- like a voice that makes sense to you, and then as a series develops, it's like the voice informs the writing a little bit, and then the writing reinforms the voice, and the voice reinforms the writing a little bit to really build this yeah. this you know solid perfect character. Yeah, it's a long a feedback loop because it takes us a year, almost a year, to make these episodes. So. To you know, see what really worked, or at least how it all worked together, takes it. It's a year from when you first started on it, and then it's another year before you could implement any <laughs> lessons you learned from that. So you will notice in Futurama, and even more so in The Simpsons, the voices, for example, change from yeah. what they start at the very beginning. Then they lock into something, but there, there's that feedback loop, and that takes about the first two seasons to see, oh, that's what's really working. And the writers are, like you say, it's a convergence where the writers are working toward the voice and the voice is working toward the lines and it it gets to something that sticks. Well, especially with animation because it just takes so long. So you can do a whole season of something and then you have no idea if any of it worked until you, until it's done and, and the you way, see it. We're not saying making a conscious choice like, you know, make the professor's voice a little gravelier or less, whatever it is. We're not, that never happens. It's just... It's a it's an evolution where you on an episode to episode basis we don't even notice it when we're doing it but it just it slowly locks in to to its spot without conscious. Were you on The effort. Simpsons since season one? No, not at all. Um, I came in the beginning of season five. I, I helped out a little bit with a couple of the, the very last stages of some season four episodes. Got it, got it. Because that that is a, I mean Homer was. 100% just a different character. Yeah, Walter Matthau. He it was a Walter Matthau impression. Right. Oh, I didn't realize yeah. that's what that was. Yeah. yeah. That was the frosty chocolate yeah. milkshake yes, guy. Yeah, that's exactly it. And then they and then it's funny to me that just one season it was like, well, these not <laughs> none of that anymore and then the animation changed and and everything. Mm-hmm. It, it, do they ever I guess at that point, you know, in a in a in an era pre-social media where everyone felt like they need everything explained to them, they were just like, "Ah, fuck it, the audience will be fine. They'll figure it out." Yeah, but again, I think you're giving too much credit to the intentions <laughs> of the writers and producers. Like, I think it was more like, you know, Dan tried something, he got a little bigger laugh at the table, or it sounded better to him, and it just moved that way. But I don't. You'll, you'll have to get him. On. Have you had him on? I don't think I've had Dan on before. You got to have him on. He's, yeah, we got to have Dan on. We've never had Dan on before. He's hilarious. Um, but uh, I think it was. Yeah, it was. I think it's more of always more of an evolution than a. Oh, season five decision. was it? That was a sweet time to be at this. That was. I mean, that is that is a golden era. Season four. I mean, I you know I I watch every season of The Simpsons, but I but I think that that kind of like season four to season nine, season ten. That's exactly when I was there. So nice. you're really buttering me up. Nice. Right yeah, yeah, I mean, you had the, you know, 
I, the fighting hellfish is probably you can't one of name my, one episode. Can the, you? The, 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 okay. the, the Abe Simpson, the, yeah, the that, fighting hellfish episode. Right. Mr. Um, Burns is three hundred years old. Fighting in World War One. <laughs> I, I think he may have fought in the Spanish American War. <laughs> yeah. But what was? Because uh, now you've been through this, this experience a couple times with shows where you get so many seasons under your belt. And are you? You're just staring around the writers room, going, "What are we going to talk about now that we have never talked about before? How are we going to do this?" You know, one of the nice things about Futurama getting canceled every few few years is that the world would generate some new material for us. So, right. Some easy examples being, for example, when we came back on Comedy Central. Well, the iPhone had been invented since we went off of Fox. So, huh. all right, we'll do an episode with the iPhone, E-Y-E right. iPhone for any lawyers listening to this and <laughs> about, you know, social media. And, you know, Fry post something about Lila with his iPhone, some embarrassing video. But that story didn't exist the first time around. Um, or, you know, the there was this uh, Proposition 8 in California to legalize gay marriage right around that time. So we said, okay, we'll do our Proposition Infinity episode to legalize robo-sexual yes. marriage between a human and a robot. So the world generates ideas which we can make our 1,000 years in the future version of. So that's, that's a nice thing about getting canceled. And if also I, a sa- and, dig and, up and, one. And you have that safe cushion of satire where... We're like, oh, it's a thousand years in the future, and it's animated, right. so you can you you really can go hard after stuff and still still get away with it. There were some seasons of The Simpsons where it just got so a little too on the nose with uh, with some political commentary. Even in your golden era, we did do we did a couple more with contemporary politicians. Like I did a I did a uh, Halloween episode with. Bill Clinton and Bob Dole. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Where they get um, and then there was the episode where George <laughs> Bush moved to Springfield. But you have to remember that in those earlier seasons, if it's like season six or seven of a show, this I'm not joking around when I say this. You think there's there's one or two years left in this show probably, so you don't have this idea in your mind. Oh, this character, this reference is going to be 20 years old, and the show is still going to be airing every day <laughs> five times a day. You know, so uh, there. You know, they're, they're, we just weren't thinking about it in those terms that kids will be born and grow up and die, and <laughs> that is a, <laughs> that show a classic. Going. That was a classic treehouse horror, a treehouse of horror, where they, <laughs> where, where they decide to put aside their differences and they just get launched into space. And well, and then can't can't co- who Kang and Kodos? Yeah, what was the line? Don't blame me. I voted for Kodos. Or, oh yeah, yeah <laughs> when they've all been in some yeah. human race has <laughs> yeah. been enslaved. Right. Yeah. That was uh, that I didn't I didn't realize that was yours. How how did the stories break on The Simpsons? Were you assigned an episode? Was everyone was every writer assigned an episode, and then you came in and workshopped it? Or yeah, basically, um, there's t- there's two ways it could go. Basically, either usually usually a couple times a year we'll get together on The Simpsons. This is The Simpsons specifically. I'm talking about. We have a story retreat where um, everybody will get together for a whole day, a whole excruciating day, and we'll go around the room and everybody will present a fairly detailed pitch for a possible story we could do, and we talk about it for a while, and then whoever's running the show, possibly in conjunction with Matt Groening and James L. Brooks, will decide which seem the most promising, and uh, those will go ahead. And sometimes there's ideas that are just floating around, or someone has an idea that they don't have time to write or whatever, and that will get assigned to somebody. So sometimes you write a story that's your own idea, 
sometimes you get a, a story assigned to you. But you know, roughly speaking, they kind of go around and try to spread them out so the people on staff each get one a year or something like that. Do you that. have a favorite of yours? Of or mine? Do you have, yeah. Uh, for The Simpsons? Yeah. I, I kind of like the. I go back and forth. Uh, I kind of like the Itchy and Scratchy and Poochie show. That's a there, fucking classic. It, it was a commentary on a show being on a long time, although it was still only in season eight or something like that. <laughs> but it, it's self-referential in a way that I think got away with it without, you know, bugging people well, too much. Well, because it was about a greater idea about about marketing people getting in the way and jumping and, like, not just jumping the shark, but, like, throwing the show over the shark. And, and also in the sense that it was about the fans' interaction with the show, which was a novel, more novel thing than because we were just starting to read the internet discussions of you know alt.tv.simpsons right. at that time about the show and so there's references to that so i feel like it was one of the earlier attempts to deal with you know what how do you please people on the internet who are all, call everything the worst episode ever and that kind of stuff so but so. but the but the uh but the idea when they're trying to i mean focus grouping i is useless i think is not mm-hmm. you, you you pull like five, 10 people in a mall and stick them in a room and go find something wrong with this right. like well they're gonna find but just this idea where he's saying you want them to have more grounded adventures but you want them to have more fantastical what do you want i don't know what you want yeah i have a theory that um about that i believe that most people who watch tv including intelligent people who you know, are smart smart people. They know perfectly well what they like and what they didn't like on TV, but they don't know why. You know, some <laughs> people, a few people, do. But if if you were to say that was a bad episode, people, the reason people give eye on the from the inside and having see, seen how the script was written, or often say feel like they've given the reason, which is the wrong reason. Like they'll say that episode was, I just you know. I was on the floor the whole time, but I'm thinking, no, that episode had a real strong emotional story in it that just got you more hooked into it. And the jokes were about the same as ever. Right. You know what I mean? So I feel like there's different things about it or there, you know, there's a character that just had, it was grading on people or whatever it is, but there's, there's reasons they didn't like it, which they may find hard to identify and just end up saying it was stupid or it wasn't funny or it was less funny or it didn't make sense. That's it. But I don't think people can put their finger on it. Yeah. Exactly. Well, because it, and we often can't ourselves either. I should say, as the as the writers, but that's the challenge. You know, if we can find that recipe that makes it good, then it's going to be good. But well, it's just, just I think just so many trying. things. So many things in the human brain have to sort of align to connect with something. And yeah, sure, sometimes it's more obvious. So oh, I really like you know. Dogs make me sad, so the Futurama dog episode is the saddest episode. You know, like people can say that, mm-hmm. but in general. In that episode, there's not a lot of doubt. It's like a dog died, and it's very sad. <laughs> Everybody's agreed on that one. But I, I've only but they're not agreed on whether they like I've it or not. Ever, but... ever been able to watch that one once? It's pretty harsh. <laughs> I mean, I it's one of those. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a beautiful episode, but I but that's but that's one that I can't. That it just like why do I need to emotionally cut myself today? You know, I mean, when you're... it's not my you know. I'm proud of it in the sense that I, I think it's a good story and it's touching and all, but it's not the that's not the noblest way to get a tear out of someone's <laughs> eye in the sense that there's episodes where you're touched in a more human way about relationships or somebody who, you know, you're you're that you know, you're heartbroken or whatever it is where it's like 
if you can get a tear from that story, it's, your writing was a little more precise and <laughs> right. successful, whereas getting it from the dog dying, yes, it, it everybody's going to cry. At that you know what, though? I, you say that, but it's still a nice story, oh, though. Oh, it is. Like, it it's is. not just, hey, this dog died, wah, you know, like, no. it's really a beautiful story. Right, but, part of, but, but the whole episode, you don't feel, you're not on the verge of, you're not emotionally, you're not that emotionally on edge that whole episode. There's, it's actually a pretty funny that's the thing with that episode. That episode is quite pretty goofy along the way. This back and forth and Fry's, you know, dancing the hustle in the rain in New York in a flashback. And there's a lot of pretty silly stuff happening. So the rug is just then ripped out from under <laughs> you at the end because didn't, you didn't know it was going to be that kind of episode, you know. Right. So, so again, that, that made it all the more shocking and caused an involuntary tear duct compression at the end do you have a particularly favorite type of episode do you like ones that are more sciencey and mathy or do you like ones that are goofier or do you just like the balance i think the balance i know that's maybe a boring answer but you know a lot of we do a lot of work to try to mix it up during the season and make sure we have a variety of types of episodes including maybe one or two of those real emotional ones and you know maybe one that has a musical in it and one that's got some animation some experimental animation where we try animating in black and white or or eight bit graphic style or you know those right. kind of experiments and I'll give all the characters their story and work a couple side characters in so we learn more about them so that's kind of the bigger picture challenge even on a show that doesn't have a lot of continuity is can we hit all these goals <laughs> in right. one season yeah i mean did when you made the transition to future was it the did Matt come to you and say, hey, I'm going to do this this future show on for another animated show for Fox. Can I pull you off The Simpsons and have you show run it? Was it that simple? Yeah, it wasn't that quick, though. It was, um, you know, it was Matt came into the room and looked around and said, who's that nerdy guy with glasses over there? And then everybody in the room raised their hands. <laughs> pretty accurate description of everybody. No, but, the one who sounds like a right. robot. Yeah, exactly. So, no, but yeah, that to be singled out as a nerd in the Simpsons writing room is really saying something. So, but I was somehow. Well, I but, know why though, because yeah. when we were, when we were, uh, when we did that live episode at, um, the Avalon, and I said, did you bring in, you know, mathematicians and scientists? And you go, we were the mathematicians yeah, yeah. and oh, the scientists. Oh, I owe you an apology, by the way. What? For, for that exact thing, because you had obviously done your research, and you asked me a nice question in front of <laughs> hundreds of thousands of viewers <laughs> on the Internet. Like, you guys had experts, you know, weigh in on these math and science stuff, right? And I got offended, as you just said. Absolutely not where, you know, I got a master's degree, and we had three PhDs in the show, and... And but later I realized no, you we didn't have paid professional consultants, but I did turn to my some of my buddies from the old days who had actually gotten their <laughs> degrees in math and science, and no doubt you had seen me talk about that in the past. So yes, mainly my friend David Shaminovich, who I'll credit, who's a astrophysicist at Columbia, and um, sometimes you know we'll have we'd have an idea we want the ship to go faster than the speed of light. And we want to acknowledge that that's stupid and impossible, but in a way that, you know, will please people rather than infuriating them. So that, for example, early in the show, I talked to him about it and I settled on the idea that, okay, they don't go faster than the speed of light. They, in the future, they have sped up the speed of light. So they <laughs> still have to go. But so, so, uh, so they're still behind, but also, you know, he also provided a bunch of those equations about the mass of the Higgs particle, which has right. subsequently been found to be, only off by a factor of, I don't know, two or 
five or something from what he predicted. So that's pretty good. So uh, yeah, so he is my number one consultant, but you know, a few other people from the old days. Do, I, what, I, what, was that what I was supposed to be answering? Or? No, yeah, yeah, because yeah. uh, because it really is you know part part of. Part of what I think makes anything, particularly an animated show, really magical is just the the depth of detail. And uh, like, for instance, like we talked about at the thing, the the alien language and how people cracked it right away, and then you had to f- with a much harder one. Yeah. So just for I'm sure it, you know I, I just for any people listening who are not hardcore hardcore Futurama fans, there are these essentially like these glyphs. That appear in several parts of a lot of the episodes. And background signs, billboards, and right. things in the future New York City. And it's actually a language. I mean, there's there, they, they there's two of them. Yeah, there's one we put in starting right in the pilot that's just what they call a simple substitution code where each letter of our alphabet, A, B, C, D, E, F, has a symbol, a crazy alien symbol associated with it. So, um, so we had a billboard in that show that said drink slurm s-l-u-r-m which is this futuristic addictive soft drink we have in the show spit out by a giant slug yeah exactly not spit out but excreted from the opposite end the other end yeah spit out in that way go into any more details and then um (laughs) and then uh we had the same billboard in a different part of the show but the word drink just those letters d-r-i-n-k only those five letters were shown as the five alien symbols so you had those five to work with. And then elsewhere in the pilot episode, we put other signs in the background only in this alien language. And then that's a standard type of of cryptography problem where it's like, okay, we know how common letters are. There's probably some eyes here and there, and we know what the eye looks like. So we're like, how long is it going to take people to decode all these other signs we put in the background? You know, a week, a month, a year, will they even notice? So I check the internet and, you know, an hour after the show. <laughs> All this, here's all the signs. So that's when we said, okay, we're gonna we, we're gonna try something more difficult. So we had a writer, Jeff Westbrook, on the show who was had previously been a professor of computer science. <laughs> so we assigned him the task of designing a more cryptogra- cryptographically secure code, and uh, it was not not what you would use to encode your credit card transactions, but it was a lot harder and uh, required us to even use a computer program to translate from English into this second alien language. So that one took a few days, probably. (laughs) And then the really irritating thing for that one was that we made a mistake in coding one thing. So there was just, you couldn't decode the sign. Oh, shit. It went on the air with a mistake. So people were not that happy about that. (laughs) And you're like, you know, there's a whole other show that we're actually, the show is actually not the language. Right. So we were a little busy at the time. And did you ever retcon that? Did you ever go back in? I don't think we did. I feel guilty. (laughs) I don't remember. I, don't, I have to. I should look that up. And See if you ever if you ever corrected if it. We can fix it. And the next time there's a change of medium, you know, whatever comes after yes. streaming, if, when they start beaming it straight into our sinuses or yeah. whatever. Yeah, that's exactly right. When we a, just when we just have the experience or the memory right. of having seen it, but we didn't actually see it in the back of your eyes from your sinuses. Was there anything that we? That, was there anything that no one picked up on? Were there were there any Easter eggs that 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 got by? Any everyone? Probably, <laughs> but, but now I don't remember. But I'm going to break the most boring secret in history here. This is this is the no interest whatsoever. Can I set the bar any lower? Please. But um, on one of the DVD, this one no one noticed because it's so boring and stupid. Um, on one of the DVDs, we put in this 22-minute episode of the Everyone Loves Hypnotoad uh-huh. show, which is, for the most part, uh, 
our character of Hypnotoad, a googly-eyed toad, making a loud buzzing sound for 22 straight minutes and yeah. hypnotizing the audience. That's the joke of his popular show in the future. But it does... The 22-minute thing we did has about two minutes of commercial breaks here and there <laughs> that are actually, that's where the actual entertainment. So I, I've said, like, I've described this thing as it's two minutes of entertainment packed into a 22-minute episode. That's fantastic. So, but somewhere in his googly eye at some point, we put a little, we faded in and out a little ad for one of our Futurama products like Bachelor Chow cereal or something oh, like that. Oh, that's great. So keep an eye on that. Next time you watch it, <laughs> well, I thought you guys did a great job of uh, because in the in the double podcast episode and yes. by double, I just shouldn't we be talking about that? Was that now? This is this is the magic of recording technology. That's already gone up by the That's time been this on, goes up. Yeah, okay, this, so yeah. you're hearing me, and everyone's billions of people around the world have already heard that podcast. I, I thought I thought it would episode. make more sense to put right. this up after people had heard that so we weren't talking about Good. something so that can, they hadn't heard so I, yet. I can give minor spoilers if we're talking about it or Yes, yeah. So I won't so, give anything. So here's the here are the yeah, there is a minor spoiler warning if you have not listened to Radio Rama yet. Uh, but it's a 42 minutes, which is a double length of an episode. It's not mm. two episodes, it's just the double length of an episode. Right. It's an uh, epic 43 minutes. 43 minutes. 43 minutes. Tell a nerd that his show's <laughs> one forty-third shorter than it actually is. But it was such a great... I mean, this... You know, it, the, the way that... And I explained it in the intro of the uh, that episode, but the, the game Futurama Worlds of Tomorrow, being able to sort of piggyback off that as a promotional item. Because when you, when you make stuff, someone's got to pay for it. You know, right. like someone's got to pay for it. Right. You wanted me to tell the story a little bit of how we... Did you tell it already in the intro <laughs> Uh, to I, that thing, I or, told my yeah. p- point of view, but I don't. I don't have any of your behind the scenes information. So I mean, basically, there is uh, this game was in development, as you said, called Futurama Worlds of Tomorrow, mobile game, and the company making it is this company called Tiny Co. That while we were making it, got bought out by another company Jam called Jam City. But they're they were very good about saying we want this to have the real flavor of Futurama. We want to get the whole cast involved. We want to get the real original writers involved. We want to get the real the original animators involved, which they did. And um, then they said, well, we want to get the word out to the fans that they're, you know, we really have put the team back together for this and you're going to get some real Futurama DNA. What's the best way? Well, can we do a new episode of the show? And I said, I doubt it. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's very expensive and it takes a very long time. And then someone said, like, well, what if we don't animate it and we just make it like a radio episode? And then suddenly a, an alarm bell went off in my head because I had talked to you, yes! Chris Hardwick, about that very idea maybe a year earlier. And um, you had asked me and Matt if we, were, you know, we would ever consider that. And as I said, being a fan of old-time radio and just trying things new, I thought, you know, it sounds good. But, yes, somebody has to still even for that. Someone's got to pay for it and – it's it sounds easy, but it's not that easy because we have to write a giant script and right. record. And so, so anyway, the game company suggested it, and I said, "Well, maybe things are going to come together here." <laughs> I had them talk to you, and I don't know what you said, but uh, it seemed to work. And I, I gave them like five warnings. Still, I said, "You know, this is going to be a- almost as much work as doing a real episode. It's just going to be faster." You know, but right. it's still going to be a lot of work, especially if you want us to make it longer than a regular episode. So. They said, we want to do it. We want to do it. So, all right, I warned you. And um, so I got together two of the old writers, uh, longtime writers, Patrick Verone and Ken Keeler, 
And then, so the three of us wrote the script. We were shooting for 30 minutes, which was the original goal. But I will say it sort of turned into a labor of love because we hadn't done this for a while. And we're like, well, we want to give everyone a story and the Bender's got to have a story and Fry and Leela and there's got to be a horrible monster played by Chris Hardwick threatening <laughs> the world. And so, you know, we wanted to get everything in there while we, once we're doing this because, you know, you can get another chance or not. So it ended up being two episodes long instead of one and a half episodes long. But we just, you know, we wanted, we wanted to do it justice. So Yeah, I mean, I remember when, we were, when I was having conversations with them about how long they thought, how long should it, they said, well, how long should it be? And yeah. I said, they said, you know, should we, should they be like 15 minutes or 20 minutes? And I said, well, you know, if it's not going to be, is it, you know, at least a half hour is a good length because anything shorter than that doesn't feel like, right. you know, it just doesn't feel substantial. It's like, less substantial than a regular episode. Yeah, and yeah, you want, yeah. If it's a special event, you want it to be at least as substantial as and you, and you don't want it Joe to just, Blow episode. Yeah, and you don't want it to just sound like a commercial, right. you know. Um, and it's very much doesn't sound like a commercial no. if you've heard it. I mean, they let it, they gave us free reign. We wrote this big crazy. I think it came out pretty good. It was story. so much fun. I, um, and we worked way too hard on it. I mean, you know, it was, as I said, we, it was, we just got sucked into it. Um, but then the entire original cast is in there and uh, spent a couple long days recording it and did it right. So it's it's all there. It's, it's a but the, pretty but big even, production as audio things. But go. even the commercials for the game, it was, like, it was so brilliantly done that you made it okay to talk about the game by going to commercial breaks where you had goofy right all the commercial there's a there's other commercials that are just fake yes. total goof offs and then there's a few for the game that are also bordering on being <laughs> total goof offs but again they let us get away with it because they want it to be in the tone of the show so yeah it's a pretty not on the nose as far as promotion goes you know it's 99% entertainment but but also perfectly on it's like it's so on point for what a radio an old-timey radio show would have been so it it could completely works out it totally works it out it kind of reminds you of why it used to be like you know the brillo soap hour or whatever yes. it was but yeah it's like oh you yeah it was they were a little more upfront about the entertainment was there to serve the purpose of it. Someone's paying for it. Yeah. Now they try to disguise that a little more, but not us. <laughs> that was so much fun. That was such a great, I mean, just never thinking that I would ever get to, you know, ever get to. Boy, do and you were good, time. by the way. Speaking oh, thanks. Of, speaking of how I wasn't that good when I tried to do it. I mean, you, for anyone who hasn't heard it yet, uh, Chris plays the part of this. I'm not going to give away too much, but this alien who evolved over hundreds of hundreds and thousands of years from all of the billions of <laughs> unheard podcasts out there in the universe that were there were so many that they evolved into a life form that became angry and came back to get us um but we did a, this voice to kind of represent that idea of what this creature was where chris uh, did multiple takes of every line in different voices and so he speaks in this kind of chorus every one of which is Chris is a real voice. Chris is doing. It's not an electronic. When you hear it, it's not electronic processing, but it's, that was so much fun. It's, it's pretty cuckoo, and you know, our, thank God we have this great editor, Paul Calder, again, our original editor on the show, and I roped him into doing it in his spare time. Um, but you know, someone else might have said, "You're going to have to pay me four times if I, if we're going to edit oh my God, four never. <laughs> voices together." But he said, "I will take this as a challenge." And <laughs> I can he do this. Got all four takes in there. I can do that. Yeah, that was uh, I, I when I when I came home that night. You know, because my wife is also an enormous Futurama fan. 
She was like, how was it? I was like, it was so much fun. <laughs> like, I could totally shred it, but it was so worth it. It was so worth it. Oh, were you hoarse when you came I was back? Hor- yeah. I was hoarse when I came back, but it was so worth it. Because one of the voices was really booming, and but one of the voices was really soft, and one was really screechy. Right. And but it was. It and was by so the way, it. again, I don't want to keep harping on this since it's not even my field specifically, but about the challenge of being a voice actor, those, those people can scream all day and then do it again the next day. And, and, and sometimes when I'm editing the show... Um, if we couldn't get one of the actors in there or we change a line, we decide, I decide to change a line after the fact, knowing I'll re-record it later, whatever, I will have to temp the line in there. So to do one temp line as Bender or one of these loudmouth <laughs> characters, you have to scream. A regular line for Bender is a screaming line for a hum- normal human being. You know? yeah. And uh, I'll be hoarse after a few takes of one line. And uh, so I saw you performing for two hours and not getting hoarse until you just admitted that you were. I did. I was, I was very impressed. But you're a person home. who talks a lot for a living. But these guys can, they, I mean, sometimes they record like a video game where they have to scream, you know, death cries for hours at a time. And it's just brutal. And I don't, I, apparently there's some muscles you can build up or something, but I, boy, it's, that is hard it to never, do. It never, I mean, DiMaggio, told, DiMaggio is like a rock star. I mean, like legitimately rock star yeah. because it's just that. You know, doing that voice after because he does a lot of loud characters. Yeah, and it's sort of like how you see someone who's on tour and like you do two hundred shows a year and you're screeching the whole time. They just sort of figure it out. But it, it, uh, I did voices at Nickelodeon for like twelve years, and and I always managed to do. I always managed to pick loud voices and regret it. (laughs) Uh Like the very first one that I ever did was a really loud screechy version of Wallace Shawn, Mm -hmm. and and it went great in the audition. (laughs) I thought it was really funny until like episode four when I realized like. Oh, the, I There's just no dug my own. Like, I fucking it's my fault, you know. Like, because there, when you do that, the, it, it inevitably it's always like more louder, right. <laughs> and, then, and then now he's angry. Yeah. It's like, wait a second, <laughs> he was, you know, he was screeching when he was happy, though. Right. Uh, you know, John DiMaggio is the real life Bender, uh, and uh, he is so loud in real life that once I was literally at a concert once, and it was you know a deafening concert with crowd of deafening people in indoor this is at the troubadour or someplace that was you know reasonably sizable place and then i'm i'm sitting like john dimaggio's here because you could hear him over <laughs> a rock band and 300 you know 500 loud people just anywhere you are you know if you're within oh, yeah. 100 yards of him you know it oh yeah and he's did you guys I'm, I'm assuming because of the way that we record a radiorama that you record everyone individually? Or no. Did, or you, know, you used to record as a group? N- normally, when with shows in production, we d- would record That's as a group best. to the degree possible. You know, there's someone's always – It's often you can't get somebody, but we try to schedule people so that when they have scenes together – they record together. Oh, so that's great. What so you saw was actually not the, not the normal thing, yeah. Um, and so uh, especially for those emotional scenes where, you know, if it's like Fry and Leela having a heart-to-heart discussion after, you know, they've gone through time and spent their lives together or whatever that week's thing is, and it gets – especially when it gets kind of quiet, kind of the opposite of what we're talking about, it is very helpful to have them in the same room because – they have to be at the same level of emotion right. in the conversation, and so the directing becomes much harder if they're if they're not there. You're like, uh, I'm trying to remember what Billy sounded like, and I'm like, well, okay, normally Katie you Segal, do ADR. take it down, and I, or or you do ADR later, you redo yeah. it all again. Oh, this later. is what yeah. they sounded like. Right. Oh, okay, I guess I try to match right. that. Um, but everything's better if you get it the first time because then the animators can animate to the voice track, and their visuals will match the 
the the vocal acting, you know. So if they have to, if the animators are guessing what the what the tone's supposed to be, and you do it later, it's never going to be as quite as good. Did they was the was the plan always to get Fry and Leela together, or did that just evolve throughout the course? Well, of the you know, series? it started out as well. You know, Fry is a dum dum who's got a crush on Leela, who's out of his league, right? Uh, but also has her problems because she's a one eyed oddball herself. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, we didn't plan out years in advance. Is he going to win her over or not? But that seemed like a nice way to go to have. So the, what turned out to be a nice way to go is to have Fry up his game a little bit and actually become a little more competent and try, even if he was naturally uh, a bumbling idiot, that in a given episode he could actually, if his if his heart was in it, he could become better at something and actually impress her right. and become, you know, make himself a little smarter because he had such a lofty goal of winning her over. So that that was more fun than just either having him fail completely or having her for no reason fall for his stupidity. So he really was a product though of like he he was it's kind of I guess I'm just thinking about this now but he was a product of the 90s that sort of you know slacker, for the slacker uh, generation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was just sort of the standard like you know, didn't really have aspirations, like maybe had aspirations, right. but not really. Young people now like to care about things, but not back, back then. <laughs> they they were, care the fuck out yeah. of things now, but back then it was like, yeah, I don't know, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Sofa, they, I got a nice sofa and a TV. <laughs> I mean, do you think you t- told every, do you think you did everything that you wanted to do with the show? If you never did it again, would you feel like, yeah, we did it. We 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 accomplished what we yeah, wanted Yeah, I mean, I think that's basically what I was saying earlier, unless you re-edit this interview into a different order, but just that I feel it's a, it's a full, it's a complete body of work kind of at this point, but... Um, I don't feel we did everything. I, let me answer this in two parts. I feel, I feel very satisfied, and I feel it's a, it does stand. I think 100, it's 140 episodes, counting those movies. So, you know, if you weren't comparing it to The Simpsons or maybe Family Guy, you'd be like, that's a good long run for a show. You yeah. wouldn't expect more than that, right? Um, it's only in the age of The Simpsons on episode 632 or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I made that up. It's in the 600s. That you go like, oh, you could have gone so much longer. So yes, we could. There's an infinite supply of stories about those characters or about that are science fiction stories. You know, there's it's not going to run out. And so in my mind, the way I always think of it is that those people, those characters are still out there doing their thing. We're just not writing it down <laughs> right now. But you know, I believe. You know, I'm. I we always try to leave it in a stage where there's some hope for the future and. We could come back, but if we don't come back, you at least as a as a viewer can imagine those characters are going on and having adventures. Do you have a good news, everyone? Favorite, a favorite version of good news. Do, do, you, have, do, you, have, do you have a, a favorite good news? One of joke? once we did uh, news, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, uh, speaking of neutral, having no particular opinion, but yeah, we, there's not many variants on it that we didn't. Do probably. I love to. Good news, everyone. Bad news. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, like that, that was not intended at the beginning to be his catchphrase. It was just, you know, we just wrote it in the early episode. Like, hey, that sounded pretty good, and it's it's really widely useful because it's equally good when he has bad news to deliver. You know, <laughs> it still works. So it, yeah, it's good to work in a catchphrase pretty early because it saves few minutes of a few brain cells now and then to be able to did you fall back on that definitively say how old farnsworth is we did um because there's an episode where he goes he to gets the, younger well that yeah that but not that one well we may have also given away his age in that one but in an earlier one 
he goes to this uh, retirement, forced retirement home called the Near Death Star, which is this orbiting, <laughs> it's basically the matrix orbiting the Earth where old people are forcibly retired and get plugged into this, you know, matrix, yeah, 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 matrix retirement yeah. colony. Um, so you're supposed to go, we, we, we reveal on that episode that you're supposed to go when you're 150, and the professor is... Uh, has been faking it, and he's really already turning 100. No, no, I take it back. Before you fans can correct me, the professor's having a 150th birthday party, and I think he's really 160. He's been faking it, and that's when forced retirement is 160. And so the secret gets out, and they forcibly drag him off to this thing, and then they have to rescue him. And then they do rescue him, and then we don't really deal with why he isn't (laughs) dragged back there again. But there was, as you said, another episode where he got younger, so maybe part of that stuck a little... I was going to say part of that stuck, and he was younger, but now that I'm remembering that episode, we actually say he got a little bit older at the end. Well, because I remember having... uh, When the last run of Black Mirror episodes came out, and then I, th- there was an episode where... Oh, I haven't seen all of them yet, so no, no spoiler. Yeah, just give me the premise. I love the it's, original Black Mirror, and I've still only seen one or two of the... Well, there's one. It's okay. that premise where people in a retirement mm-hmm. community mm-hmm. are hooked into, uh, you know... Uh, they ripped us off? I mean, when I, when I saw that episode again, after having seen that Black Mirror episode, I was like... Wait a minute, the Futurama episode. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not this where they went with it is completely different oh, than. Okay. But, but I'll watch it. Then. But but the idea of essentially, um, you know, putting your consciousness into a cloud or you know some some type of a a, a computing uh, construct mm. uh, was was a Futurama episode first. It was kind of Futurama, but it, but it, when you start a Futurama, what? How did you? Were there things that you consciously did to say, like, well, you know, the the, the art style is similar, but we have to make sure that this is not The Simpsons? Like, oh, how yeah. Did you, you know? No, very much. That was a big concern of Matt Groening because he, he could have easily been accused of ripping off The Simpsons and making, you know, second-rate Simpsons or whatever. He didn't want to have to deal with that. You don't want to have to compare your show to what was at the time, you know, the greatest show in the history of the world. and right. probably is and, and uh, was also, you know, one of the top-rated shows in it. So you want to try to make it different at the same time and i'm sure matt will forgive me for saying this he has a somewhat of a limited palette as far as his drawing style goes you know if it's going to be a real matt granny thing it's going to look it's going to have those characters with the big eyes and the overbite so it's going to be in that style so we have to look for other ways to distinguish it because it's it wasn't going to be in the character design so Number one, the, the Simpsons about parents and kids, basically. So we said, let's avoid that. Let's make this about young adults who are getting their, a job and working together and hanging out together. So it's immediately like a different demographic and might have more romance stories and that kind of thing and, you know, hanging around the office stories. So just the type of characters we had, first of all. Number two, obviously the setting in this crazy futuristic setting that would not be mistaken for uh, Springfield. And uh, I was gonna. I, I wanted to be three things because that's the normal amount in a list. But those are the two. <laughs> really, it was those two things. <laughs> well, because I, you know, it, it's really hard to. The, the last time I saw Matt at Futurama, and again, he just could not be nicer every time I see him. He that is be, true. By the way, nicer. I want to come out and say that Matt Graining, who's given me basically my whole career, and uh, so thank you. But uh, what a nice, down-to-earth guy for one of the most successful people in the world. I mean. He, 
couldn't couldn't be a more nice regular guy. Well, I I tried, you know, I tried not to spew fandom at him, mm-hmm. which is because I I know everyone. I mean, how, I'm sure literally every person he encounters that finds out who that knows who he Especially is. Especially at Comic Con, though, if that's if you run into him at Comic Con, then it's a yeah, then he's the Beatles at Comic. I've literally seen like hordes of teenagers screaming as he walks oh, yeah. by and stuff. You, of course, it's really funny. And but uh, but when I was when I was growing up, my my mom and my stepdad we lived in Colorado for a brief period of time in the in the late eighties, and in a pre-internet era. It was really – you really had to hunt and gather the types of nerdy pop culture stuff that you wanted. It was not easy to come by because it wasn't just – you know, you couldn't just access it whenever you wanted or find a community who would go, hey, here, you know, I'll email you this. And uh, there was a, the alternative newspaper. There was – I think it was called Westward and that's where I discovered Life in Hell and it just – you know, that changed my, it just broadened my comedy horizons mm-hmm. for what something could be. But it was, you know, there were, there were a hand, there were just a few comic strips in this, you know, alternative. It was like, sort of like, sort of like the LA Weekly, but a, even a little cooler and a little more alternative than that. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, and, and Life and all the, all the Life in Hell books and all of the, I mean, I'm sure people say like you know why wasn't bongo uh, uh, an animated show or why was, i mean he, i know he made, some of those characters in early simpsons make a little uh, there's little easter eggs here and there yeah, i mean to some degree i think he, yeah we we tried to sneak in a bongo here and there and you know akbar or whoever but uh and we made we did i think little references occasionally with an alien or something but i think he does want to that's its own thing, you know, and he, again, he doesn't want to steal from himself as much as he don't, doesn't want to steal from somebody else. And sure. maybe there'll be an animated life in hell someday. I don't know. You know anything could happen, but I think he didn't want to, doesn't want to mix his metaphors. Too gotcha, much. gotcha, gotcha. But I always loved that Akbar and Jep, every so often, would have a new business that they were trying to promote. <laughs> and uh, and the entire strip was just uh, was just them all about their business. Or even just in nine panels – Eight panels of them just looking at each other, and then the ninth panel, then then they finally say something. I mean, it was such an interesting way we, to tell a story. <laughs> Sometimes when we were working on Futurama, Matt would – I forget which day of the week it was, but he had to have his strip in that – you know, he had to get it into to FedEx to ship it off that night at that time. And I would just see him sitting at his desk with 16 squares in front of him. And do, <laughs> You know, and his, oh god! <laughs> so you could tell it had you know he would always wait till the last day, and then that's the, that's that day. You know, he'd be he was really he he was dedicated to it, but it was a lot of work to to do that and try to keep two shows on the air. Uh, were you a big animation fan before, or was it just? It was chance, pretty much, that my whole career has ended up animation. Um, really. Uh, I you know I I watched plenty of TV when I was a kid, but no no more or less animation than anyone else in that in you know the early eighties, late seventies, whenever I was plastered to the TV. But um, my very first writing job when I was taking a leave from graduate school and seeing if I could do it was I won't go into all the details unless you want me to blow fifteen more minutes. But through a series of very lucky circumstances. I got hired to write one of the first episodes of Beavis and Butthead. What? By Mike Judge, who I had never met. I had never even met him, but I, like I, I had sent some stuff to the to, to to David Letterman, who didn't hire me, but like somebody there who I didn't know handed my stuff to Mike Judge, who was looking for 
the cheapest writers available. And someone says, oh, I like this stuff was good. Oh, we didn't hire him. And so that that's the story in one minute. But so Mike Judge called me up and said, I saw your stuff that I hadn't sent to him. <laughs> and uh, do you want to submit some ideas? So then I wrote a couple of those very first episodes of Beavis and Butthead when it went on MTV as a series. He had done... You know, one or what he had done that one frog Which baseball. Episode? Yeah, frog I, baseball. I wrote one called Couch Fishing, where they're uh, sitting on a couch, throwing a hook out the window and seeing what they can reel in yep. from their couch. And I wrote one called Plate Frisbee, where they're at their what was their friend's name? They had a friend who they were always just torturing. I can't remember his name. Even it's been a while, um, but they took a very expensive china plate from his house and played frisbee with it. It was called Plate Frisbee. Yeah, that was right after the uh, when he used to do the Spike and Mike festivals. And it, there was Frog Baseball. Right. And there was the other one where they were at the monster truck pole. And so, yeah, and so I had only seen, I think there were only two in existence at the time he, he uh, hired me. And so I watched Frog Baseball and they're hitting a frog with a bat. And yeah. I, okay, well... One thing I know is it has to involve animal cruelty. So, so like in that plate, in that plate, when they throw a plate and the dog tries to catch it and it jumps up and catches this china plate in his teeth and all his teeth shatter, and so some people were upset about it. But I thought I had to do that. But anyway, the gist of it being that this show came out of nowhere and then was a success, and so I accidentally sort of had had a calling card as an animation writer. And then I got hired on The Simpsons and then Futurama and so, so on. So I ended up specializing in animation, but it was it's just the way the dice rolled. Really. Have you branched off and done pilots for live action stuff? Um, I've written, let's see, I've written a few pilots that were, one of them I'm having trouble remembering. I think, I think one of them started out being animated, but then was going to be live action for HBO. It was based on um, this comic book uh, uh, Peep Show by Joe Matt. Are you familiar with that? Mm-hmm. He's collect- oh, yeah. It's collected yeah, yeah. as The Poor Bastard. It's absolutely brilliant and, you know, hilarious and heartbreaking uh, autobiographical stuff by this cartoonist Joe Matt. And so we tried, we wrote a pilot for HBO for that with him and, and this other writer, Donna Carey <laughs> from The Simpsons. And I think that was going to be live action, but it was still based on a comic book. So, And then I've written, I wrote a pilot another animated pilot that was going to star Ice Cube. What? They, uh, it was called Grandmaster Freak and the Furious 15, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of based on my childhood in Englewood, New Jersey, which was the home of Sugar Hill Records. Oh, wow. The Sugar Hill Gang recorded. Yes, of course. Were, so it was going to take place in the early days of rap music in this oversized rap group with uh, 15 members. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that was just, you know, had way too many people, but... Uh, that didn't make it to the area. That was for Fox. So I, I think I might have written another. I'm trying to remember. Boy, it's been a while. You can't. I I think I might have written one more, but I already forgot. I don't think. Maybe I guess it was just those two. Uh, I I was just thinking about. This is not any type of linear part of the conversation. This is going to go way back to what we were talking before. But I was just remembering when we were talking about putting the commercials for the game, and that someone has to pay for stuff, and. Uh, as much of an animation person as I am, I only just found out, and I feel stupid for only just finding this out, but all of the original uh, Warner Brothers animated cartoons were essentially made to promote Warner Brothers' music catalog, and I had no idea. That's, Me neither. That's why it was that's Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies. That, that oh. was all, all in the Warner Brothers' music catalog, and so they would make these cartoons to promote just their vast Isn't it funny, just the idea that people were going out 
they were just to buy to buy I don't know the, the blue Danube or whatever they whatever the, was it, it's kind of funny, isn't it? Like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can sell a million records with this cartoon. Yeah, well, but it was at a time where I'm sure you know that was incredibly technologically advanced. It was like you can capture mm. a recording of someone <laughs> right. doing something and just listen to that thing. That's crazy. That's another business which has just been gone through t- ten thousand iterations in our own lifetime to the point that you can bring one up that makes no sense to either of us even but uh music being utterly different and my my daughter is mystified by these giant this i have one of those milk crates of records down in the basement yes yes it weighs 500 pounds you can listen to that how and like (laughs) Well, you have to take my word for it because there's no in this house. There's no longer any way to listen to it. But so, the, the, so now they're just they're just, they're just sitting, sitting in a crate. There, but I can't throw them out. You know, no. get those Led Zeppelin albums with the you know the paper bag and the rotating wheel. You should get a get a turntable. I guess I should. It's it's time. Turntables are shockingly expensive. There's a you you'd think they'd be like ten dollars. <laughs> they have. I mean, but they're hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Actually, you know. We actually even have talked a couple times about a Futurama album because they're, which I think would be fun to put out on vinyl because there's all these cool vinyl technologies now that I didn't used to know about where you can have they put like you know two tracks on there and depending on where the needle starts you have a completely different record because they're nest two spirals nested. Oh, that's just, genius! Or uh, yeah, uh, there's I think somebody did a record where there was a there's a track on the cardboard in the middle. Yep, and there's all these. Cool things you can do. Can I pitch you an idea for that? Yeah. Oh, you got to have Bender do like a Wolfman Jack, like Wolfman Bender. <laughs> Wolfman Bender is essentially he would he would be the DJ that would be bringing you all of the those songs, that whatever those songs. And maybe it's just all it's just all weird song parodies. Well, we have I mean we have enough sh- songs from the show that we could probably crank out one album. But I just I, you know would anyone buy it? I don't know. It's like the Merry Melodies situation at that point where you're trying to use a cartoon to sell music but, but we, I think, which we've already given away <laughs> yeah but it but it but it's all but that's why if you can justify it in in a way where you you know you print like you know a thousand of them or something and then they're promotional for right. for something else i mean it sounds like futurama world of tomorrow is super fun by the way i i've been playing it since it launched oh, thank you yeah and, the writing's got i think the writing which again we have a bunch of the real writers working on it and uh I've been playing it also to keep an eye on things. I was involved in the initial writing of the animation beginning and kind of the general concept and stuff, and I'm just sort of keeping an eye on it now. But I think the writing's getting better and better and better, and I, I keep finding myself laughing out loud now. So because yes, it's dynamic, because it doesn't, it, it's it's evol- it, it also it evolves. All, it, it's const- it, they're 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 writing every day. Like the the model for these games, these mobile games, is it's insane amount of work because there's literally. Literally every day, new materials being written, and you know it's, and it's never ending. Yeah, because the appeal of it partly is there's always a story going on in the game, and every time you you know get a new character in the game, there's a new story with that character, or there you know there's events. There's going to be if it's still going on, depending on when this is, there's an event based on that podcast, the, right? The podcast episode we did, and we'll incorporate those characters. So things from real, unlike the animation, things from real life can be incorporated very fast into the game so you know if we want to refer to this podcast okay those characters are in tomorrow as what? long as our writers drink a lot of coffee and stay up all night i have to thank you for letting me uh be involved in 
first of all, letting me be ahead in the game, like a, a head in a jar, is incredible. And then just for, you know, helping to make the podcast thing happen and then letting me be in it, I really, really, really appreciate well, it. Well, thank it's, you. It's As I said, you were instrumental in making it happen. So, Sweet. Chris Hardwick, everybody. Hey, come on, you guys. Oh, please, everyone, <laughs> take it down a notch. Um, is, is there anything else you want to, that you're excited about now that you're working on? Or Well, I, I can now say, you know, I've been, this has been top secret for like, 18 months or something like that, but it's finally just been announced that oh, Matt Groening has a new show yes. in the works. And I can't, Netflix, I can't, right? for Netflix, I can't say too much about it. I'm not the boss at that show, but I am writing for it. It's called Disenchantment. It's a, uh, it takes place in a medieval type fantasy world. And, um, uh, Josh Weinstein, who ran The Simpsons with Bill Oakley in some of the golden years, is the uh, head writer, executive producer, showrunner of that, working with Matt. So it's pretty fun. So, but, about a year off, probably still, but get ready. Fantastic. So, uh, Disenchantment, Futurama Worlds of Tomorrow, which is mobile uh, for iOS and Android, and then also the uh, Radiorama, the Futurama podcast episode, which uh, which is available now on Woo-hoo! Nerdist. Listen to it twice. <laughs> listen to it as many times as you feel like you should listen to it. <laughs> but thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. It that was, was a blessed. Real, real pleasure. And uh, you know, let me know if you let me know if I can ever if if it ever seems like Futurama is creeping back up please please let me know i will uh even if i just come and watch a recording or something I'll, i'd love to do that you'll be the first to hear thank you thank I'll you call you then i'll call matt graining yeah oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, that'd be really great if i got the call before matt <laughs> i'm sure that that would be that would be okay right uh, the, if you see a real estate agent coming through here like <laughs> matt graining's looking for offices uh, bad sign for you and a good sign for us uh, excellent thank you so much thank uh, you. enjoy your burrito everyone the end. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode brought to you by the HBO comedy special, Felipe Esparza, Translate This. Uh, so there's a new hour of stand-up comedy by Felipe, uh, which has a lot of unconventional riffs on immigration and sharing stories about translating for his parents as a kid, how his father got their family from the United States to Mexico, and then becoming a father himself while still in high school, all performed in English with Spanish peppered throughout. Felipe Esparza translate this on HBO and HBO Latino Saturday, September 30th at 10 p.m. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishbowl podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself. And it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast. And those plans are the opposite of quiet. Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Wondery Kids Plus on Apple Podcasts today.